listeners, welcome back to the Hussman FC podcast. I'm your host, Nicola Volpi. It's great to have you here. We've got some big news coming. Uh, Hussman FC developing a lot of new content. I will be having a few guests on the podcast to discuss their books about football in the coming weeks. So something to look forward to there. Uh, Roy Cycli will be coming back after his hiatus, so we'll get back into discussing nostalgic 11s and who's hot, who's not around European football at the moment uh, in due time. In the meantime, to fill the gap, I'm continuing a concept I launched on the last episode, on episode 10, where I take an article I've previously published about football and read it out to you guys. In the show notes, I also put a link to the article in case you want to read it. I hope you enjoy. Let me know if this is content you want more of or not. All is good. We're still experimenting on the Husband FC feed. Also, remember that Husband FC is a part of LIP Productions. You can listen to our flagship podcast, which I host together with Neil Fitzpatrick. It's called Lost in Postulation. Just search that on any podcast app of your choice. Click subscribe if you like the tone of this podcast. You're sure to like that one. It's a combination uh, of pop culture and the mundanity of daily life. Uh, we've recently done an investigation into the world of sandwiches where we even got the CEO of the British Sandwich Association to join us. Uh, so yeah, be sure to check that out. Give us a rating and review. Really helps to grow the podcast. Write to us, lostinpostulation at gmail.com or follow us on any of our socials. That's lostinpostulation on Instagram at impostulation on X. Enjoy. Football disproportionately shaped my identity. Stuck between two cultures for most of my life, I turned to sports for a sense of belonging. I could feel a tingling in my legs as I sat on the edge of the couch, barely able to peek through the little gap between my hands as I waited for the referee to blow his whistle and permit Fabio Grosso to strike the ball. The camera zoomed in on the Italian left-back's face as he nervously licked his top lip with his hands at his side, trying not to make direct eye contact with the French goalkeeper Fabian Barthez. Before I knew it, I was in my dad's arms being paraded around screaming Campioni del Mundo, Campioni del Mundo as I broke down in tears. It was July 9th, 2006 and Italy had just won its fourth World Cup. Horns started blaring as Italians all over the country went into the streets to celebrate, waving their flags while kissing strangers in the summer heat. For one night at least, the country was proud and united. My family, however, did not join in any of the celebrations. We were seven hours behind and nearly 5,000 miles away, watching from our basement in Woodbury, Minnesota. I remember looking around at our makeshift fan section as my younger brother took pictures with his digital camera of Captain Fabio Cannavaro lifting the cup on the ABC feed. While our family doctor, Dan Foley, an Irish-American who had gone to medical school in Parma, clapped on. After the trophy was lifted, I took my Coca-Cola-stained Italian flag, put it on an improvised pole made out of a Swiffer handle, and ran down the street to my neighbor, Isana's house. Isana's dad was from Ethiopia, and they had been cheering for Italy the entire tournament. 
we paraded around our suburban neighborhood where most people had no clue what we were doing. Football, or soccer, was still a few years from truly taking off in the U.S. Not that it ever truly took off. And most people were out at their lake cabins having no clue what had just occurred. The few we ran into gave us a thumbs up, probably wondering why we were going around waving an emblemless Mexican flag. For the rest of that summer, and up until the next World Cup four years later, I laid claim to the title of world champion. I, by virtue of having an Italian passport and having been so emotionally invested in that team, could now wear the badge with the same pride that those who played did. I was 11 years old at the time and had already lived the majority of my life outside of my home country. I'd barely had time to accumulate my earliest memories when we set off for purportedly greener pastures when I was four. Throughout the moves and the years, my parents worked hard to ensure that we would not lose touch with where we came from. To keep our language, they instilled a simple rule, that we would speak Italian at home. No matter how tired they were, they would still take time to correct us at the dinner table. On top of that, they made sure we always had some Italian television programs to watch, that we called with our grandparents on the weekends, and that we traveled to Italy for every extended vacation. Their dedication went a long way in ensuring my brother and I developed a thirst for learning languages and traveling, but perhaps what ensured an even deeper connection was sports. Every Sunday between September and May, my brother and I would wake up at the crack of dawn to watch the Serie A coverage on Rai International. In those years, our club team, AC Milan, was a powerhouse and was frequently covered. When they were not, we would catch them on tape delay later on in the afternoon. At full time, we would often call my uncle Lorenzo in Milan to discuss the result and hear about the atmosphere at the San Siro that day. But it was not just the games. In those years, we lived and breathed Italian football. My grandfather would send us a care package every week with everything we needed from the old country. The smeared yellow envelopes would usually take 10 days to arrive. Inside would be a refill of Panini stickers for our collection albums, copies of the latest Forza Milan fan magazines, and editions of the iconic pink Gazzetta dello Sport. That was our education in Italian culture. We were then fluent in all the latest transfer rumors for when we would hit the beaches in Toscana during the summers. Analogously, sports also provided me with an opportunity for cultural immersion in America. As a kid on a Monday in school, you do not discuss the latest unemployment statistics or the president's new education initiatives. You talk about the previous night's games. The very same games you had not finished watching because they ran past your bedtime. Cable television and, more specifically, ESPN Sports Center allowed me to flirt with the edges of the cool crowd and Americanize myself. I would catch 20 to 30 minutes of the highlights before heading off to school every morning. 
I would then check the box scores in the Star Tribune at the library before first period so that I was fully armed to debate everything from whether Shaq was a has-been to how the Minnesota Twins closer had blown yet another save. The discourse was rarely illuminated and usually consisted of heated arguments with the odd Packers fan who roamed the halls. What it did do, though, is it made me, at least for part of the day, one of them. Having been stuck between two cultures for most of my life, it was sports that I turned to for a sense of belonging. There is something about sports that allows you to penetrate right into the very core of a culture. The natural, unfiltered passion through which people live their sports as spectators, even as adults, says a lot about them. Show me how a person behaves while watching sports, and I will tell you who they are. In Italy, for example, football is all about rivalry and organized fan groups akin to religious fanatics that sing for 90 minutes on end. It provides a break from the chronic administrative dysfunction facing the country on a day-to-day -day basis, but also an avenue through which to take out those frustrations every Sunday. In the US, sports is a massive business that prioritizes networking in boxes, but also a family-friendly atmosphere. Sports franchises tend to be apolitical, and everyone will rally around their side during crunch time in the playoffs, regardless of where they land on an ever more polarized political spectrum. Sports can provide a window into the values of a culture as well. When I lived in the Netherlands, the local powerhouse Ajax was covered by the press based on how they played as much as the result they achieved. The Dutch cared about entertaining with their style of play even more so than winning the trophy. I would often hear statements like, we didn't deserve to win. Something that would be anathema to say about your side in Italy, where there is a win-at-whatever-cost mentality. Nowadays, having been away from Italy for the better part of three decades, and considering myself the old cliché of a global citizen, I still cannot help belting out the lyrics to the anthem before a World Cup match. The most Italian I feel is during a football tournament. That is when Italy actually qualifies. During the last European Championships in 2021, now a grown man with a job and a wife, I attended every Italy match in public viewing spaces with my Danish wife in Copenhagen. On game days, I would wear my full Italy kit and drape myself with a flag. My wife would also get carried away and cheer the Azzurri as well. There, I was surrounded by other expatriated Italians who had moved for better work opportunities or to study abroad, or who were second and third generation Danes but were still cheering for their parents' team. One young man, whom I met routinely at the matches, called Danilo, was half Italian through his father, had only ever lived in Denmark, and barely understood me when on our first meeting I spoke to him in Italian. Nonetheless, he showed up to every match that summer with his personalized blue jersey matching his girlfriend's and lived the match more intensely than anyone I had seen. The only thing that brought us together was the connection we had to this team that, in turn, kept us loosely tied to our ancestry. 
Those blue jerseys were, for many of us in attendance, the only thread keeping us bound to our motherland. Going home after a semi-final win in penalties over Spain, where Brazilian-born Jorginho scored the winning kick, my wife asked me why I was disappearing for minutes at a time to hug some other grown men and anxiously discuss the match. In Denmark, strangers are strangers, and they're not meant to be interacted with. You don't even know them, she said. No, you're right, but I am them. I know exactly what they are feeling. This is probably the most Italian they will ever feel. After the final, which Italy won on penalties against England, I cried tears of joy as I had as an 11-year-old all that time ago in Minnesota. On Monday, I went back to my office in Copenhagen, daydreaming about the next time I could feel such a connection to my home country again.